previously on Sinners Anonymous. Stranger in my own church. Have you ever gone to church and it felt like you don't belong? We're not only just a, a church, but we're also like just a community of people, like of friends, of families, like that are coming together. I don't think the majority of people understand Christ. I just, I don't get the impression that people even put Christ as top billing, that he is important, that he's them. You know what? How do you understand somebody you don't actually love? And then you get a text from like someone, they're like, oh, we missed you today at church, you know, hope everything is well. And you're just like, all right, are they taking attendance or do they actually care that I was gone? Everyone has different parents. Everyone have different experience. Everyone look at everything differently. Listen, son, the only the only uh, <laughs> saints in that church are the ones on the walls. There ain't there ain't no saints in that church. There ain't no human saints in that church. Not even not even a Buddha himself. God forgive me. Amen. But I'm telling you right now, Amen. everybody in there is a sinner. The problem is half the people realize it, and the other half don't. Yeah. And sometimes it's like better just to alleviate like your. Just your own mind, knowing, just like, you know what, maybe she meant it in a good way and just kind of like erase it. Because if you keep like recording, like with a, like a logbook of every negative intention that you have, like every negative encounter that you have with someone, it's going to push you farther, like in farther away. Let's get real, folks. Let's get real. Let's talk about the service. Right? We're about to drop some real knowledge here, folks. So you might want to, if you're a servant, cut, cut. <laughs> You've got these servants. Right. They're good people. Mm -hmm. They mean well. How many times was said, has that been said about them? And, and, and they love. But what do they love? Themselves? The kids? The church? Because if you really love the kids, you wouldn't create an us versus them mentality, which creates separation between the individual and church, between the person and Christ, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't put them, you wouldn't make people feel, especially kids that you're serving, you wouldn't make them feel as lesser than somebody else. And you can do that in two ways. You can do it the negative way and say, like, how dare you do that? You should be more like this. And you can do it and you can be like, hey, congratulations. You're so good. You're really good kids over here and not say anything about this kid, right? They get this tunnel vision, this tunnel vision mm -hmm. where they look in the classroom and they're like, we had great attendance today, right? And they had, they had maybe 20 kids. But when you look at their roster, it's 50 kids. Where's the other 30? We had great attendance. Boom, everybody was fine. You, you get this feeling as if you are inferior and they are superior. And because you don't, you're not living your life the way that they want you to live your life, the way that honestly God wants you to live your life, because you've fallen short, you've got a lot of explaining to do, right? And they'll make sure you explain. This is the type of servant that destroys church unity and pushes people away from the church. And you know what's worse? Makes it so hard for people to come back. Yeah. And then sometimes... If I may get off my, I'll get off my high horse in a second. And, and, if, I, and, and if, I may, if I may, it pushes away the more progressive servants. The ones that had they just stuck it out, had they, just, they stuck around just for a little bit more, they would have been something as a resource to those, to those kids that really needed it. But it pushes them away. And in the end, you're, all, you're, you're, you're left with a homogenous group of servants who are very, very good at drawing boundaries. Mm -hmm. And then what hope? the future generations of the church have. And then when you walk into a church and you see nobody that looks like you and everyone's looking down on you or the perception thereof, I don't think everyone is, maybe that's why we feel like strangers in our church. There's always hope. And, the, and I don't think that, 
I'm sorry to disagree with you. I, I don't think it's intentional. I think you're making it sound like they're, they're intentionally placing these boundaries. I think a lot of this is subconscious. They don't realize what they're doing. And if, and if it gets brought out to the light, I don't think it's going to be so much of an issue. I don't think there are people who want, there are some people who may want to push, but I don't think it's a majority. I don't think that's, I think it's more of trying to understand each other. But I think one thing that Theo was trying to emphasize was the fact that sometimes servants try, I think this is kind of what you were saying in the beginning, that sometimes servants try to depict this perfect image of who they are, that they're like flawless, they go to church all the yes. time. That's a different story. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and that's and a different story. It's not, a, it's not a different story. And it creates this boundary between, you know, a servant and a, a kid because they don't feel relatable to the servant because the servant lives this perfect quote unquote life that, that they, they perceive is perfect. And then they look at themselves, the kid looks at themselves and they're like, well, I'm nowhere near that. So why do they think they can tell me what I can do when I, you know, it, for them it seems easy, but for me, it's, I've got a long road ahead of me. You know, um, I, I think it's that perception of trying to make things come off as perfect that can sometimes you know it's not real it's not mm -hmm. you know being authentic with the kids that i think can sometimes do damage yeah like sometimes they like so obviously did not live the life that we lived here mm -hmm. and like honestly a lot of them are just they didn't grow up in america like they don't they didn't see what we had to see growing up or go schools, through what we had to go through like socially so mm -hmm understanding the culture is different than living the culture mm -hmm. like yes you understand it and you see it and yes you 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 under you think you understand how to overcome the struggles of everyday life as a youth in america but realistically living as a youth in america is much different as a, a child it's of an immigrant different. yeah mm -hmm. yeah you're you're, an immigrant. you're yeah exactly like you're in the middle because you have the super conservative you know egyptian coptic culture and on the other hand, you have like a totally liberal American culture. Mm -hmm. So you're tied in between the two because, and there are good things about the American culture. I'm not saying there isn't. And there's also good things about the Coptic culture, but it's trying to find like the medium, mm -hmm. like in between the two. That's that's where like the conflict well, is. Well, one of the things that happens as an immigrant in, in America, especially um, years ago, there wasn't much communication between here and Egypt. Mm -hmm. And so it stagnated here where you're kind of living as the way Egypt was in the 80s or 90s and not the way it is today. And so even so, when someone from, comes from Egypt, they're like, oh, wow, you're, like, you're so progressive compared to what we are here. And they just look at us and there's like, and it's it's just sometimes we in our attempt to be orthodox, we try to conserve everything, including still reading the newspaper. <laughs> like, just like, let's not change things. So like, I'm... I'm gonna go off at like two points, but the first part when you said, and I like, I lived through that like the whole 10, 11 years I've been here. So the problem with people that move here like in the 1980s and 1990s, Egypt for them stopped at 1980s or the 1990s. So when I come from Egypt in 2010, for them I'm like, I came from another planet. Like you definitely <laughs> did not come from Egypt. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, like this Egypt is one problem. So different. Yeah, like this is the one thing. But I mean, there's there's not nothing really you can do about this. But like the one part that, as you mentioned earlier, there's nothing wrong with the uncle. They have good intentions and the tons. But the problem is it's not brought to light, as you said. It needs to be like okay, you've been teaching for way too long, or you're the way of teaching might push kids away. So let's involve youth in, 
let's add more people. Maybe change your way. Maybe change the structure. Mm-hmm. Like everything will follow with it. Okay. So 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 I'm sorry, Karen. Go ahead. Yeah. No. I was. It's the same point that Andrew make. I think the realization that some servants need to have is someone coming from Egypt or someone who's living in Egypt is and then moving here is going to face some struggles here that they didn't deal with in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as someone who did move here, you know, in Egypt, we didn't have a lot of the temptations that we had here. We had different temptations. And for you to kind of close them off and tell them the church's ways this way, ignore everything else, it's unrealistic because when you're here and when you're in America, I'm not saying take either culture as best, but when you're here, you're going to have to find a medium point because everything that we're telling these kids, including us, it's completely different from what we experience outside. So it doesn't make sense to be like, okay, shut off the world. This is what God wants you to do. Right. You know what I mean? So so let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into that and tie it back to the church, okay? In 1980s Egypt, you're either Muslim or Christian. Your whole identity revolved around which one of those two that you belong to, right? So if you were a Christian, there was the church. Church was not just a religious place. It was not just a place you served. It was your whole identity. It's where you did. You had fun, where you had your friends, everything, right? There were only two essentially things that you really, forces in your life that really affected you and influenced you, right? One was church. The second was the media, the outside world, right? In America, there are way more storefronts than just those. It's like a giant suit. It's like a giant market, uh, like Khan al-Khalidi. It's a giant market. Every nook and cranny, there's like someone saying, hey, you want to buy this? Hey, you want to buy this? Hey, take a look at this. And they're trying to drag you in, right? And they're very adept at convincing you that what they've got to sell is better than the next guy, is better than that guy. Like buy it, buy it, buy it. And it's all scam. Every single thing is a scam. The church is now relegated to a small little corner in Khan al-Khalidi all tucked away, all quiet. There's not a lot of not a footwork, right? And now the church has to compete with that because if you want the allegiance and the loyalty of these youth, right, you need to find out how to get them there. And it does a horrible job at it because the, the church has not found a way to communicate, right, to help folks drown out all of this noise that's coming from social media, from uh, you know all the negative things, the, the, the drugs, the, the, whatever it is, even the good stuff, people's careers can swallow you up whole, right? So, so part of that problem is sometimes the people that are serving are disconnected from the youth. That's what I'm hearing from you guys. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the people that are serving are so far right, right? So far right, they can't even comprehend some of the issues that the folks over here, mm-hmm. right, the kids, the youth, are dealing with. It's like putting the, your head in sand, you know. I would say it's worse than putting your head in I think sand, they're right? Scared. They've no, they're scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Never faced exactly. Because yes, they grew up somewhere where they had to be scared, and they always were scared, and it's kind of hard to transition now. And uh, so, whenever there's something that's perceived as the enemy, the enemy, you shut it off and you wall it off, and then you just attack. Mm-hmm. And, and then maybe that is what causes this feel, this cold feeling of not being welcome, because they take one look at you and they see the earring, or they see the low cut top, or they see the tight clothes, and they say to themselves, "Ooh, I have no idea how to deal with that." Right. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's like, I don't know how to deal with this. Like, I, don't, I need to do something, but I don't know what to do. In my day, they would slap me across the face. I can't <laughs> slap this kid across his face. So, you know, there, there'll be serious problems. So what if I slap him metaphorically? 
What if I make him to feel like, hey, hey, Habibi, I love you. Yeah, change your hair. Cut your hair. Hey, 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 your hair's so long. How many times does that happen? Yeah. Kid shows up with an afro. All of a sudden, everyone thinks he committed the seven deadly sins. Yeah. Hey, chop that head off right now. Like, I mean, come on. Come on, uncle. Why is the hair even relevant? I got my hair braided, like professionally braided back when I was in second grade. Like cornrows and everything, and I remember <laughs> you were pushing it with the cornrows. <laughs> I even had like those beads at the end. Yeah, you were asking for it. I remember there was a servant at church. She was like, "Is hey, you have empty? Like, what? What? What's wrong with your hair?" I was like, "What? You don't like it?" And she was like, "Oh, you you look like um." You know, it's, it's, yeah, okay. And I was like, I was obviously like very young and every week at church, it lasted like two and a half weeks, I think. Every week at church, she'd come up to me and ask me when I was going to undo my hair. And I was like, why do you care? You know, I was like really young. I was just doing it for fun. I I bet you the more he asked, the more you're like, yeah, I'm going to keep it. Yeah. I think that the struggle is the mixing between the way of delivering the word of God and the word of God. The word of God will never change. The Bible will always. I think the Bible will apply wherever, whenever you are, and like at the time. But the the way you're delivering it, that has to be changed depending on the generation, who you're talking to, how you think this person is close to God or their knowledge is. But the word itself should not change the way. Stand up, best. We're orthodox. We're not going to change Orthodoxy will change nothing. Change nothing. Problem. They teaching the same way of they have been taught when they were kids, which right. is like 67 years ago, mm-hmm. which is way too old. The word did not change, but you should change the way you're Deliberate. giving me the word. No, like change so is bad. Change is just bad. <laughs> well, like like the thing is like providing like a deliverance through social media. You know is different that like notifying them through social media hey we've got a, a meeting this day versus actually calling them nobody calls i i hate co- talking on the phone <laughs> unless if you're my mother like don't call me you can sh- send me a text if it's you. that important uh, what it's okay no i'm kidding i love talking over the phone but yeah. uh, <laughs> okay. okay maybe don't it's just text me, me. Call no, me. <laughs> no. i'm that way too i don't know i just feel like I, when i have time like i don't like being called on the moment like i i like to like text me hey do you have a second and then call me but like <laughs> what if i'm busy what if i'm not ready to have a conversation you know but um then don't pick up the phone that's generally what i do and if it's important <laughs> they'll leave a voice message or text me <laughs> no but then it's why didn't you answer my call oh sorry i, I was you busy 36 no, started don't and then you I say started. you're busy what were you doing <laughs> but i love something that justine just said it's let's be the light let's be the change that we want to make that it's us it's our church and so we can be that change. We're we're servants. We serve the Most High God just as much as everyone else, just as much as the, as our parents' generation, as much as the uncles and the tons. And let us be that change. Just Andrew had a great point. Like let's change the way that we deliver things. Let's change the way that we communicate. As long as we're still doing it in the way that gives blessing and gives glory to God. That's fine. That's, you know, Michael, I'm so glad you said that because the let's focus on the negative just for a second. Satan uses division to amputate the body of Christ. And it's powerful, yeah. It's very powerful. If he makes me feel like I'm different than you or I should be jealous of you or you think I'm talking negatively about me, right? In a second, he's broken the body of Christ. In a second, he's fractured it, right? But if we can find a place in our hearts 
where we feel like the only thing, even if the only thing we have in common is that we're here to connect with God, if that alone is the thing that unites us, and it should be, then you know what? Over time, there is no authority that a saint has over the body of Christ or over us. Right. Because at the end of the day, what unites us together is our love for Christ. Look at the disciples, right? These are 12 men that are completely different. Peter is like the guy that's like, hey, uh, God, I'll never leave you. Like, he's like the hype man, right? Uh, Peter is the hype man, right? He's, he's God's right hand. He's Christ's right hand man. Then you've got, uh, you know, the sons of Zebedee. John and James are like, oh, burn them. Like, like, like they're the bodyguards, you know? They're like, hey, these people don't respect you. Let's, let's kill them. Let's burn them, right? So it, it, Jesus met every single one of these men where they were. He, he, where they were strong, but they were weak. And he was the perfect equalizer, right. the perfect neutralizer of that which was negative. When Peter stepped out of line, you know? You know, when he took his sword out, when he fell in the water, Christ put him back in. When the sons of Zebedee wanted to rain down fire and brimstone, right? That's, that's, not, that's not unity. That's not inclusive. You know, our Lord find a way to calm them down. We all plug into Christ and he neutralizes us, right? So there is a place for these tons and uncles in the church and these servants in the church and for us in the church and the worst of us, worst of us, right, in the church. There is a place. But the first step is humility. The first step is humility. Check your pride at the door. Mm -hmm. Check it. It's a huge thing. Because if you can't walk into that church, that's, that's the one thing you have to do. What, what does the Bible say about God and, and those who are proud? The Spirit resists the proud. Right. God resists those who are proud, and he, and he glorifies or magnifies those who are humble, right? So if we can walk, that's step one. When we talk about solution, walk in there and be humble. And full of love, because if you don't do it out of love, then... There's just no point of doing it. Yeah. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will conquer a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Yeah, but the without grumbling part is the one part the Egyptians haven't gotten down. But that is so powerful to say that love is the single most important thing. Love each other fervently. Yeah, I don't like you. Yeah, you said something about my my you know my parents. Yeah, like I know you're on social media talking about me, but you know what? You're my sister in Christ. And I'm willing to put that away, even if you're not. Even if you're not, I'm willing to put that to the side and come together in this church. And you know what? I'm, if I'm walking in there without any, without any pride, I don't think I'm better than you. If I'm walking in there with 100% with humility in my heart or the desire for humility in your heart, you, don't, you just have to work towards it, right? Then I'm not going to judge you. You know, then if I see you, you know, alone, not clicking with anyone, I'm going to go and extend myself to you. I don't care what people say about me because I'm nothing. I don't see myself as anything other than a servant of Christ, right? If, if we can come in with that humility, the love comes in so quickly. You have nothing to lose if you're humble. Yeah. You know, at that point, because you've given up your pride, you've given up your perspective to things. So you going up to somebody and, and saying something or doing something for them is... You've got nothing to lose. That, that That's essentially, I feel like, where it comes from. I have to agree. One last thing, just because I'm really excited. Uh, we can't wait for the other generation to change. They're not. You know, cultural sensitivity. Mm -hmm. it, we, we wish everyone can be open and, and honest. And There's nothing wrong with that, but it's unrealistic. Like, like Tanta Besbusa is not, doesn't understand <laughs> cultural sensitivity. Like, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, the, what the Bible says is true. What the Bible says is true. It is easier 
for a camel to go through the needle of an eye than for Tanta Besbusa to understand cultural sensitivity. <laughs> she won't. She's never going to get it. And if we all sit here and blame the other generation, it's like, these people are so old and out of touch. They need to get with the program. It's not going to happen. And we're never going to have the unity of Christ. It has to be us. It has to be. It has to be this generation. End rant. <laughs> I mean, though, if we're going to talk about the humble part, I think if can, you're humble... Can just talk about Andrew if we're going to talk about the humble part? <laughs> yeah, you can start with that. You mean as in like what not to be? Oh, <laughs> wow. burn. Just kidding. <laughs> so if we're going to be, like if we're going to talk about being humble, I think everything will lead. And it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to say, okay, I'm going to be humble starting from tomorrow once I walk into church. I think it's as simple as like fake it till you make it. Mm. Push yourself. It's like, okay, he said something to me. It's not going to affect me. I'm supposed to be humble and it's not supposed to push me away from church. I'm just going to ignore it because I'm supposed to love that guy. One day and another, you're going to say, oh, it did not affect me because I actually love that guy. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be a change overnight. It will take time, but you have to push yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and once you take that road, expect that there's going to be some bumps in the road. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of a story of a guy that prayed to God, and he said, God, give me patience. And he gets on a bus, and the guy next to him just keeps bugging him and keeps <laughs> asking him questions. And he just wants to sit and listen to his music, and the guy keeps asking him questions. And at the end of the day, he goes, God, why didn't you give me patience? He's like, I gave you an opportunity to be patient and to work on your patience. And that's what's the, what we're going to expect to happen. As we try to be humble, God's going to give us opportunities to try to become humble. And there may be some temptations to fall into that pride again. And if it, if we do, just get back up. I, I love that, Michael. Thank you for being that, that centering presence. Uh, <laughs> actually pays to be 59 or 60, whatever old you are. Um, yes, I've always had an old soul. Yeah. <laughs> so... Okay, all right, this is perfect, but here's the thing. The devil attacks those who are resisting, mm -hmm. okay? Like, everyone seems to think that the devil is this all-powerful. He's not. Only God is omnipotent. Only God is all-powerful. Only God is all-knowing. The devil has a certain amount of resources. He is powerful. There's a certain amount of resources. Now, if he has to choose between someone that's completely asleep, you know, the, these hype beasts that are spending $10,000, you know, on their physical looks on their clothes and they still look homeless, right? Explain that to me. Like, how's, that, how's that a thing? But anyway, I don't want to pick on hypebeast, but what? Okay. Both fashion. Okay, Mr. Supreme. Uh, so so, so if, if those people are, they're 100% asleep. That's why, like, the, how many times Christ says, watch, 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 watch. Watch, 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 watch. Watch, 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 watch. Watch, you fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but about it, he's weak. Those people are completely asleep. Why would the devil expend any resources on them. No, what he's going to do is he's going to find you and he's going to find you yeah. and he's going to find you who's fighting, who's trying not to think negative thoughts, who's trying to give Tante Basbusa the you know, benefit of the doubt, who's trying to come to a church and focus on the liturgy and Christ. And he's going to say, attack every single resource, attack. Because his hope is you'll get so tired, so tired, so broken that you'll fall asleep. And it shows in its, in its craziest ways. Like, you know, I'm sure we've all been in a situation where cliques within the church will hate each other over the dumbest things. It's because somebody wore the same Easter dress as the other person. Oh, God. God forbid. Right? And like all, all of a sudden now there's like a civil war in the church and there's like so many dead bodies and dead reputations. Like, like, and you know, you know who's sitting there being, watching the tea, watching like sipping his tea? Oh, it's the devil, right? Because like he, this is what he wants to destroy us. So 
we are not usually cognizant of that. How do we stay aware of that? How do we stay protective of the one thing that matters the most, which is our love of the other? I think prayer is always, it might sound as cliche, but prayer is always the key. And Pope Carlos always said it. Prayer actually is the only solution. And I think if we have time, we can share a quick story someone actually told me. Go ahead, please. Uh, I didn't read it. Someone shared it with me uh, when Pope Carlos, uh, like something happened in Egypt and a lot of Christians lost their jobs and they came to him and he was going like, he, he went to them and they're like, oh, you know, Abdel Nasser, come on, like get us our job back. We need our job back. He's like, you guys pray and I will go pray. And the guy is like, is that the only thing you say? You always say, pray, pray, come on, like pull your strings, like you have connections. He went back down the stairs and I was like, prayer is the only solution, is the only way. I'm going to pray with you. And the next day, everyone got their jobs back. So mm -hmm. it might sound so cliche, but prayers is the only solution. So how to be humble? Pray to be humble. As Mike said, the guy prayed for patience. You're going to be tested. You're not going to pray to be humble and the next morning going to be humble. You're going to be tested so many times that you're going to feel, okay, God is actually doing the opposite. God is not listening to me. It's the story of Alicia. Alicia takes over and he says to God, I can't do this. What, what am I going to do? How, how can I live up to these men's shoes? And he, and, and he was essentially instructed to pray. And so he prays. And you know what he prays? I want double the portion of wisdom. I want double the portion of dedication. I want double the portion of uh, service that my father Elijah had. And he ends up being double as good, arguably, as his mentor. So that's very true. Prayer is very important. But is that it? Since you mentioned Elisha, one thing, another thing we can learn from him is there was that time where there were all these troops coming through against them. And he looks on the other side and sees how many angels are supporting him and how many angels are on the Israel side. And we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And we have more on our side than there are on their side. The war is already won. Christ has won it. All we have to do is to continue to be on his side and we will be victorious. And if you have that hope, then it'll continuously let us continue to strive. Yeah, you have, you have to appreciate your struggle. You just have to. And you have to realize that as much as you're being tested, as much as you're struggling, God sees that and it's very rewarding because yes, you might be getting tested, but it's going to, in a way, it's going to open up your eyes to ways to increase your tolerance. Like you're like you kind of in increase your stamina by working out, you're increasing your tolerance, you're finding new ways to deal with these people. So yeah, you're not going to pray about it and become humble or become patient the next day, but it's going to kind of push you out of your comfort zone and you're going to start from there. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> you don't get uh, jacked from sitting on the couch not doing anything. You have to go to the gym and actually put in work. Yeah. So It's been know. working for me. <laughs> <laughs> not. <laughs> so, yeah, in the same way, I think, you know, struggles are good struggles to train you to become a better person spiritually, you know, emotionally and and mentally. You know, I think we all that that and I think that's why every person has their unique trait because they have their different way that they handle different struggles. And so, um, you know, my struggles may be different than everyone else's struggles, but we have our own cross to bear, so to say. And so, you know, and I, I think that also plays into a factor where if, if I'm like, you know, feeling a stranger in a church, so to say, feeling like a stranger in my own church, if, if I feel like I'm having my own struggle and there's somebody else that has a different form of struggle, 
I can't sit here and belittle their struggles and say, okay, they're being, you know, stupid about their struggle. That's what they're, they're crying because they don't have, you know, I don't know, a, a nice car or something, you first, know, first world problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like we can't sit here and, and say that everybody's struggles are not that bad. Everybody has it pretty good and, you know, dismiss the fact that some people may be struggling. And I think having that situational awareness is, is also really important. you're talking about putting yourself in the shoes of the other right and understanding where they're coming from and loving them so much that you will put their comfort and their priorities and their needs ahead of yours guess what that fulfills the first one of the most important commandments right love one another as i have loved you Mm -hmm. god doesn't have to put himself in our shoes but he does it all the time because he loves us and he wants the best for us and guess what guys what? Lord have mercy. Definitely not what I was shooting for. <laughs> I, was just, I was like, what? <laughs> All right. We are 55 minutes in. Time for closing. Closing time, everybody. We're going to go around the table. We're going to talk about what we learned today, what we're going to take away, what we are going to share with others. Most importantly, if you can condense what the mission or the lesson of today or the conversation of today into just a few seconds. What would you say? Mikey, go. We are all the body of Christ. We are all to love each other. And the only way that we're not going to be strangers is for us to become family with each other, for us to all be in fellowship with each other, and to realize that even though some some of us come from different cultures, some of us come from different lived experiences, we're all part of the body of Christ. Karen? Um, I think what I learned today is um, to be more patient, to kind of have a tolerance for people, and to acknowledge my faults before I acknowledge someone else's faults, because I'm sure, just as they might have robbed, rubbed me the wrong way one time, I'm sure I did it to someone else. So be patient, be tolerant, and um, just give people the benefit of the doubt for your own sake. Short, I mean, Andrew. <laughs> nice one, nice one. I mean, the one thing I would definitely say is try to see the good in people. Always, as Justine ended, try to put yourself in their, their shoes. Like, okay, they might doing that in a good intention, but it doesn't come off that way. But just try to see the good, and, will, and everything will take practice. Irene. I learned that we're all so different. Like, yes, we're one body of Christ, and we're all one community, but we all come from, at the end of the day, different backgrounds. We're all raised very differently. Um, and yeah, you do have to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, even if you think they're like negative and they're ju- being judgmental. Just give them the benefit of the doubt. Try to be positive. Try to push through. Take it one step at a time. It's not going to be miraculous. You're not going to wake up one morning. It's not going to. Every, everything's not going to change overnight. So it's just taking it day by day, being positive. Justine. Can I just say ditto to everything? Because everyone said everything I wanted to say. Um, I guess, I mean, to reiterate everything, I think, um, but um, which I think brings up the, the really valid point of like patience and having understanding for for others and for yourself. And I think when you have, you know, like when Egyptians say like tawal balik or whatever, you know, that that's a real thing. I think that that's a legitimate saying. Like I wish I could translate that to Americans, like lengthen your 
What's Balak? Uh, your mind. I don't know. <laughs> like, think your like mind. Cholak is stretched. If I'm going to use one quick example, actually, I, I read it. I didn't make it up. It says when you put a seed in the ground and you water it, do the next day, do you open, like, do you remove the mud and look at the seed to see if it grew or not? No. Just keep watering every day, having faith that this seed will become a planet. Right. Okay, old McDonald's. Um, <laughs> all right. Check, check it, check it. Here, look at the original church. The original church wasn't perfect. It was 12 men of various backgrounds, of various outlooks, of various personalities, right? They didn't always like each other. In fact, the Bible records several times where they were jealous of each other or they argued with each other. And yet they found a way to make the church what it is today. They found a way to spread God's word. They found a way to, to get over their imperfection because their imperfections didn't necessarily go away, but they found a way to connect and build that church and spread the good news and love each other in a way that they pr prior to meeting Christ would have never actually loved each other. They found out how to do that. And then they taught everyone how to do that. The church has never been perfect. It will never be perfect. The church will continue to struggle. But the most important thing is that when we struggle, we remember that we are here to do God's will and that'll never change. And as long as in our heart, the desire to please God is what motivates all of our actions, all of our thoughts, and we're struggling together, then remember that verse, if two or three gather in my name, I'll be there also. Christ will be in the midst of us. And if we don't do it, if this generation doesn't learn, if we can't figure out how to make the church a more loving and accepting place and still be able to help people get over their sins and their issues without calling them out, calling them out about it, if we can't figure that out, what's going to happen to future generations? That's what you got to ask yourself. All right. So uh, I just want to say thank you all for joining us. Um, it really is a, is a blessing. Uh, if you live in the South Florida area, join us next uh, next week, right? St. Mary's Delray, uh, Delray Beach uh, in Florida. If you're not nearby, contact us on our socials and our emails and our website. Let us know you're out there. You know, share with us your thoughts, your feelings, your concerns, your issues, whatever it is. If we can help you, we will help you. If we get you in contact within the local church, we will do that as well. And I think it's very important that you remember something. Remember who you are. Remember that all, above all things, right, above everything, have fervent love for one another, right? Because it covers a multitude of sins. God loves you. We love you. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.